Well, that was a little tepid. If you're going to do it, go ahead and do it. Y'all did a great job. For some months now, I have been preaching a series through the Old Testament, hopefully to cause you to become more interested in the books of the Old Testament. Today we have come to the book of Jonah. And to be honest with you, the book of Jonah has always seemed a little fishy to me. Now, I apologize for that. Well, let me ask you, how many of you literally, truly believe that Jonah actually swallowed the fish? Let me see your hands. Some are not paying attention. <laughs> Jonah means dove. He was a prophet from 786 to 746 B.C. Now, there are three basic interpretations one can give to the book of Jonah. There are those who see it as being mythological. Davis Dictionary of the Bible records this conception of the prophecy is much in vogue, for it avoids the miracle, or if no miracle was involved in the escape of Jonah, the extraordinary nature of the event. It interprets Jonah as a type of Israel fleeing from the duty imposed on the nation to bear witness to the world for God. So there are many people who understand the books in mythological terms, that it was a myth. There are others who interpret it as being a parable, that it has no historic accuracy, that it was not a literal event, but it has a spiritual meaning. There are things that we can learn from it spiritually. And then the third possible interpretation is to take it literally. And I do. I, I say to you that I believe the, the fish swallowed Jonah. I believe all of that. So I will present it that way, that it is a story that is a literal story. I think we might understand it better if we understand something about the setting at this time. And at the time of Jonah, Israel was surrounded by enemy nations, just as it is today. And so all of these enemy nations surrounded them. One of them was Assyria. And the capital city of Assyria was Nineveh. Assyria would sweep down from the north to attack Israel at will. And so the problem here is that Jonah was to take the message of God to this enemy nation. Now, Jonah was a Hebrew. He was a patriot. And now he is supposed to take the message of God to this nation that is an enemy of Israel. Now, I don't want you to miss the message of the book of Jonah. It is a message about God. G. Campbell Morgan said, Men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. So the message then of Jonah is a message about God, that God is patient in His dealings with men, that God is gracious in His dealings with mankind. 
that God communicates with man and man responds to God. So it is a message then about God. It is also a message about man. That man has a responsibility to God. That, that man communicates with God and is responsible to Him. And then it is a message about missions. The sharing of God's Word with other people. Now take your Bibles and let's look at that first chapter. I'll refer to other chapters in it. But I think I'll read the first chapter. It's rather lengthy, so you, you read along with me here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for Thou, O Lord, hast done as Thou hast pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now then, as we look at this story, we begin with the call to missions as Jonah is commissioned there in verse number 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Now, the call... To Jonah was arise and go to Nineveh. Understand that the call was based on the sovereignty of God. God called based on what he knew, not what Jonah thought. God's call is always based on the sovereignty of God. For instance, when God called Moses, it was based on his sovereignty. You recall the call to Moses when God said, 
I want you to deliver my people out of Egyptian bondage. Well, Moses was hesitant. And the Bible says in Exodus 3.11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? When God said, Moses, I want you to be the one to deliver my people out of bondage, he said, Why should Pharaoh listen to me? Who am I that Pharaoh would listen to me, that he would respond to my request? Who am I? And God said, Moses, I am, has sent you. You see, it was not about Moses. The call was not about Moses. The call was about God. God sovereignly called him. When the Lord called Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet to my people, Jeremiah was hesitant as well. He said, Lord, I am too young. I'm too inexperienced to do this. And God said, I have appointed you a prophet. It isn't about you, Jeremiah. It is about me. I have appointed you as a prophet. And so when God called Jonah, it was because of what he knew. God said, I have called you, Jonah. It isn't about you. It is about me. Folks, did you know the same thing is true with you? God called you to salvation. He called you to service. It could be that even today God is calling some of you to a particular place of service. Maybe He's calling you to be a missionary. Perhaps He's calling you to be a pastor. Maybe a minister of music. Perhaps a Sunday school teacher to sing in the choir. In some capacity, God is calling you. And it might be a surprise to you. It certainly was to me. But God's call is based on what He knows. It isn't about you. It is about His sovereignty. Now, God's call does not preclude the possibility of danger. You'll notice here with Jonah in verse number 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to the enemy and rebuke them. I want you to go to Nineveh, that wicked city, and rebuke it. Uh, that was a dangerous assignment. You can uh, study about the disciples in the New Testament. And, and much of the time they were speaking to hostile people, people who were not open to the gospel, people who rejected them, people who rejected Jesus. That's the reason they spent so much of their time in jail, because they were hostile. I am amazed and impressed. We talked about the World War II veterans and recognized them. But another group of people that greatly impresses me is missionaries who go to hostile environments with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They go to other places where they are not always welcome, where they are not always appreciated, where they are not always agreed with, but they go there because of the mandate of God on their lives. And oftentimes it is in a dangerous environment to which they minister. Another thing I notice is that the assignment was specific. In verse number 2 he says, Go to Nineveh. He didn't say go to Carmel. He didn't say, why don't you just find a place and go and serve? He said go to Nineveh. It was a specific assignment. Now, that might, may or may not be important to you. It is to me. I have never served a church unless I felt that God specifically had directed me there. Now, that is important to me because I believe that if God has given me my assignment, then God is going to be with me in the assignment. And so when I look at Jonah, I notice that God was very specific. He said, go to Nineveh. 
Also, his call was urgent. He said, arise, go. This was not something for later. This was something for now. Arise, go. And God's concern was their sin. You'll notice in verse number 2b, he said, then cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. I want you to understand that Nineveh was a great city. It was considered to be a great city at that time. In fact, one of the commentaries I read said the Hebrews embraced the entire population under the designation of Nineveh, the great city. So Nineveh then was considered at that time to be a great city, but it was not the greatness of the city that had come to God. It was the wickedness of the people. God did not celebrate them because they were a great city, but He rebuked them because of their wickedness. You know, God is aware of sin, and that has always been true. I'm, I'm sometimes overwhelmed by that thought. I mean, there's six billion people in the world. Now, surely I can sneak something by. And yet the Bible tells me that God is aware of sin. And that has been true going all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. God was aware of the sin of man. He was aware of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says in Genesis 18:20, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. God was aware of their sin. Well, folks, do you think that God is any less aware of our nation's sin? Do you think that God is blinded to the sins of our own nation? No, God is aware of sin. He is aware of the sins of nations. He is aware of the sins of individuals. For instance, when King Saul offered a sacrifice to God that he was not allowed to make, God sent uh, Samuel to rebuke him. You have no right to do this. I'm not called you to do this. But God was aware. When David was involved in adultery, God was aware. And he sent Nathan to rebuke him. Folks, God is aware of our sin. That is an overwhelming thought to me. And I hope it is to you that no one else might know. It could be today, and I'm sure that it is in some cases, that you are involved in sin and nobody knows. No one else knows. But God knows. God is aware of sin and He was aware of their sin. And so I see the call to missions. God commissioned Him as a prophet to rebuke their sin. Now when God calls, then a choice has to be made. And we see the decision there in verse number 3. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down and did to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He rose up to flee. Now, God's call to him was arise, go. His response was to rose up and fled. Fled from God. Davis Dictionary says, as Jonah entered a ship, at Joppa, in order to flee thither, the route to it was evidently across the waters of the Mediterranean. It was a distant land. What I want you to understand is that God told him to go to Nineveh. He was going to Tarshish, which was in the opposite direction. 
So he, he took off in the opposite direction. The Bible says that he went to Joppa. Now, Joppa is currently called Jaffa. It's about two miles from Tel Aviv. I've been there several times. So it's a little port city about two miles from Tel Aviv. That's where he went. And the Bible says that while he was there, he found a ship. Now, that's interesting. He found a ship. The word found that he uses carries with it the idea of surprise. He was surprised how easily he could find a ship that was going to where he wanted to go. And you know what that says? If you run from God, Satan will provide the transportation. If you want to go where God doesn't want you to go, I can promise you Satan is going to provide the transportation for you to get there. And then it says that he paid the fare. Now, rebellion, disobedience, sin always has a fare. Always has a cost. Samson sinned against the Lord when God told him that he was not to reveal the source of his strength. And he, he told Delilah the source of his strength. And she cut his hair. And the Bible says in Judges sixteen twenty one, Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. And they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. And he was a grinder in the prison. Now here, here is a, you talk about a fair. God had said, don't tell anyone the source of your strength, but he did. And she told the Philistines, she betrayed him, and there is the strongest man in the world. He is blinded, and he is grinding there in their prison. David sinned, but he also paid the fare. It cost him his integrity. It cost him his fellowship with God. It cost him his family. His life was a tragedy. Even though David is such a mighty man of God, even though he wrote the Psalms and so forth, folks, if you will go and study his life from the time that he sinned against God, you will find that it was tragic. It was tragic concerning his family because he paid the fare of his sin. I don't know how to... Make this important to you or to, for you to take it into your heart. But, friend, understand there is a cost to sin. I don't know how to put that in your heart, and I just trust that the Holy Spirit will. But there is a cost to sin. I, I pray all the time, Lord, keep me from temptation, keep me from sin, because I know that there is a price to be paid if you fall into it, and we all are subject. We all can fall into sin. We fall into sin regularly. But understand there is a cost that is involved. And that's what you see in this passage of Scripture. Something else I notice is the direction. In verse number 3, so he went down to Joppa. It continues, he went down into the bottom of the ship. Verse number 5, but Jonah had gone below into the hole. Chapter 2, verse number 6, I descended to the roots of the mountains. Do you see the direction of his disobedience? He is constantly going down. As you read the story, he is always being revealed as going down. Now, he wasn't fleeing from God's presence because that's impossibility. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, 7 and 8, Where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. Where can one flee from God? 
There is no place one can go to flee from God. So he's not fleeing from the presence of God. He is fleeing from duty. He is fleeing from God's call on his life. Now, that was true with Moses when he said, Lord, I can't do this. Why should, why should, I'm, I can't speak. Maybe Aaron ought to do it. He was trying to flee from duty. That was also true with Jeremiah when he says, Lord, I can't do it. I'm too young. I'm too inexperienced. I can't do that, God. He was trying to shirk his duty. Do you understand that? Because I certainly do. When God called me to preach, that was the last thing. I could not see myself as a preacher. And some of you still can't see me as a preacher. But when God began to call me to preach, I, I thought, no, that's not me, Lord. You've got the wrong one. I, I can't do that. In fact, I tried to make a deal with the Lord to be candid. I, I, was, I was doing pretty good in my business. And, and I said, God, I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, I think we can make some money. Now, if you will not make me do this, I'll give you half of everything I make in the, in the years to come. But it was simply an attempt not to do what God was calling me to do. And that's what we do oftentimes. We have all of these excuses not to do what God calls us to do. Now, when God's people are in rebellion, there is confusion within the people. And the sailors were confused. Look at the sailors. They were afraid. Verse number 5, then the sailors became afraid. They were scared at what was happening. They began to pray. Every man cried to his God. So they are praying. And then they tried to lighten the load of the ship. He continues, they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. They were doing everything they could. They rowed hard in verse number 13. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. You know, you've got to give credit to the sailors. They are doing everything they can to keep this ship afloat. They are suffering as a result of the disobedience of Jonah, but they are working hard. They are doing all they can to keep the ship afloat. Where's Jonah during all of this? I mean, here are these sailors, they're praying, they're throwing stuff, they're rowing. Where was Jonah? Look down there in verse number 5c. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. Do you know that in this story, the only man of God in the story is Jonah? And Jonah is sound asleep. Is that not a tragic picture of the church today? The world is in disarray, and by and large, we're sound asleep evangelistically. Friend, it always touches my heart to think that in studies, 95 out of 100 professing Christians have never let another person to faith in Jesus Christ. Ninety-five out of a hundred professing Christians. Oh, we do a lot of things, but we don't tell about Jesus. We're sound asleep. Our families are under attack today, perhaps as never before. And it breaks my heart that so many families are sound asleep unaware of the attacks that are taking place on their children, on their marriages. Morally, our society is under attack today. 
And by and large, those who call themselves the people of God are sound asleep. I have referred to it before, but I've read the book, God is Back. Not a Christian book, so don't think that it is. But one of the things that struck me when I was reading is that because we've heard so much, the reason that there are people, especially in the Middle East, who hate us and attack us is because of our freedom. That never made any sense to me. And in a study that was done by the Pew Research Poll, they did a poll in the Middle East with those people, and they said that is not the reason at all that they hate and attack us. But they do so because of our sexual and cultural promiscuity. We are supposed to be the people of God. But when people who do not believe in our God say we reject that country because of its sexual and cultural promiscuity, we need revival. Sin has unintended consequences, and you see it here. It produces storms in verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea. Jonah's sin produced a storm, and so do ours. Sin is contagious. It is never contained. I get aggravated when I hear people say, well, you know, I mean, what you do is your business doesn't affect anyone else. Well, that's generally not true. What Jonah did affected the sailors. And what you and I do affects others. And I see this as a pastor. You know, a husband or a wife can have an affair with someone else, and the whole family's affected by it. The whole family. Sin is never contained. It is always contagious. When there is a member of the church who is ungodly, disgruntled, and causes division. The church is affected by it. Folks, our sin is not contained within ourselves, but it is contagious. It spreads to others. Therefore, sin must be addressed, and Jonah acknowledged his in verse number 10. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He acknowledged his sin. And he repented of his sin in verse number 12. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. I mean, I admire Jonah. There are some things not to admire about him. But I admire this part of it. He acknowledged his sin. He repented of his sin. And folks, here's the good news. Sin can be forgiven. Well, what is required The Lord's love, and that's what this book is. It is a book about the grace of God. You read the story, and and you'll be overwhelmed at how God loves people and how He extends grace to them. But then the sinner must repent, and that's what Jonah did in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. He said, I called out of my distress to the Lord. He answered me. I cried for help from from the depth of shield. Thou didst hear my voice. He repented. Nineveh repented. Chapter 3, verse number 5. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them, and the Lord forgave. 
He forgave Jonah, chapter 2, verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. He forgave Nineveh, chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. See, here, as I conclude, here's what this story says to me, that God calls people. He calls people to salvation. Those who are unsaved, he calls to himself. He calls them to salvation. He calls people to service. And I believe that today some of you are being called to a place of service. And then we respond. We can respond like Jonah and run from the Lord. Or we can respond like Isaiah and run to the Lord. But that is what you decide. God calls. What will you do? What will you do? Our Father in God, I pray that you might examine our hearts. And Lord, that you would call us and that we would be obedient. Father, I pray today for those who have never come to Jesus. I pray that they might today, that they'd be saved, forgiven, some young, some old. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those to whom you are calling into service, that they would say, here am I, send me. Lord, that you might use them to share the gospel around the world. May we be obedient to you in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we will stand. The choir will sing. This is an invitation extended to you. Is God calling you? If so, the staff will be here. Would you just come and take one of them by the hand and tell them what God's calling you to do to be? They'd love to pray with you. Stand with me, please, as they sing. You come, I'll greet you as you do.